Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, welcome into another episode of Matt and Judd's Hockey Adventure. We are coming out of the All-Star break this week with a lot to talk about with the second half of the Minnesota Wild season. First of all, Judd, can you believe where we were at the beginning of this season with the Minnesota Wild and how we felt about them to where they are right now? We felt like this is a middling team. Good luck, Bruce Boudreaux, but eighth place is probably yours, buddy. And instead, they are the odds-on favorite for the Stanley Cup right now. So the, the question then becomes, are our expectations now fair? I would say this. I would say uh, by the end of the Mikey O reign, we said one of two things is at work here. Either one, this team, especially the team a couple of years back that upset Colorado in the first round of the playoffs, is not as good as we expected, or this team should be a lot better and is poorly coached. And we didn't know what the answer was until now. It was poorly coached. Uh, but I do find it, I find it very interesting, given what we saw with the Vikings, certainly, and their 5-0 and start. Do we have reason to be as excited as we are, or should we look at, at recent Minnesota sports history and pull it back now? And I like the Wild a lot. I'm pretty convinced that they are a very good team. I'm not completely sold yet, though. There's always that thought in the back of your mind, what if? Uh, but Boudreaux has done a fantastic job. And, and I would say that given the amount of players who have uh, developed and made huge strides, the answer to the question of this core of young talent was really good, and it was probably poorly coached for a couple of years. Well, I also think the addition of Eric Stahl is such a huge difference maker because you take Thomas Vanek out of the mix and put in Eric Stahl, and the difference is uh, the the position there. I mean, I, I didn't think Thomas Vanek was as bad as many Wild fans I, I think did. he was. I you did. did uh, but I think in Detroit what you see with Thomas Vanek is – a player who's being protected, given pretty easy minutes, lots of power play time, and yep. he's scoring a lot. That's what he does. He's not a good defensive player. On a bad team. Right. If your strategy under Mike Yo was going to be to shut teams down defensively, you really can't have Thomas Vanek on your team if that's going to be the case. If you're going to try to have a great power play and you're going to try to outscore teams, Thomas Vanek might be your guy. But Eric Stahl, at both ends of the ice, has taken himself back about five years to the way he's played, which kind of leads me into some of the conversation I wanted to get into you on this episode uh, with Judd is 
the the storylines for the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. Eric Stahl, I don't know if you have him written down, but he's one of them for me, not not on my list. We each made lists of three, but just one of the things that I'm very interested in looking for in the second half, does Eric Stahl keep up the pace? Because I, I think if it'd be hard to name a team MVP right now, yep. but considering that there are good centers in the West yep. and this team has been short at the center position for years, his value to this Minnesota Wild team, not just in points, but his overall game, he is probably as much as anybody, as much as Suter, as much as Dubnik, that he belongs right up there. So I asked you to write down three things that you're watching uh, watching for in the second half of the season. Where did you start? What was your first thought when I said, Judd, write them down? Things you're watching for, second half of the season, what, what was the first thing that came to your mind? Point number one was, for me... The question that is going to that has to be has to be answered in the second half of the season and well into if the Wilds to be successful April May and perhaps June. Very very simple. Can Devin Dubnik keep this up? Mm-hmm. Now, I'll say this: Boudreaux's teams the past couple of years with the Ducks last year and now here have played very for the most part very responsible defensively. So if you look at the Dubnik shot chart, he's not facing on a nightly basis high pressure shots. He's facing a lot of shots from the outside. He's stopping them. Nonetheless, he's been fantastic. Uh, all-star goaltender, he's going to uh, come out of the all-star break uh, first in goals against 1.88 on the season. Save percentage also first 936. And he has, let's see, 27 wins. And I believe also when it comes to shutouts is near the top. Devin Dubnik has uh, got here, uh, what, three years back now? And single-handedly was the reason why the Wild went from being out of the playoffs and had gone through a terrible slump. He took them to the postseason. But, Matthew, they got to the postseason, and he started to play okay and not great. Uh, last year, he let in a lot of weird goals, sort of freakish goals. This year, he has been fantastic. But what I, I need to see here is there's no second goaltender here. Darcy Kemper can play, but once you get to the playoffs, right? Darcy Kemper, if, if he has to play, it's over. So my biggest question in the second half is, can Dubnik keep this up? And when you do get to the playoffs, can he win you a game or two per series? It would be completely unfair to ask him to go into each series and say, you, you've got to win three or four games. That's not going to happen. But I think what you can realistically say is, in the course of each series, can you win us and stand on your head and make just unbelievable saves in one game. We are yet to we are yet to answer that question. So my first question is Devin Dubnik, and can we continue to see what we've seen in the first half, which is an MVP caliber type goaltender? And when I look at his numbers, I say Devin Dubnik's numbers will probably come back a little bit. I mean, right now, he is at historic level in terms of save percentage. The league has changed a lot since. Back in the 80s when guys had 880 save percentages and 900 was an elite goalie. And then uh, coming out of that first lockout, 2005-2006, where the league called all the penalties and the average save percentage was probably around 900 again. Mm -hmm. Now it's about 915, 916 is average. And he's way above that at 936. He is among best ever. I think that there will be some slumps for him at some point. But... You're right to say that if he has another poor playoff series, you will probably hear people say, man, I just don't know about this guy in terms of actually getting it done. 
I always think, and I ran through the numbers on a lot of the great playoff goalies, they've all had series that didn't go their way. Sure. And the sample size of Devin Dubnik playoff games is so incredibly small. It's, what, 10 games in the playoffs so far that I can't judge him there yet. There's just too much variance, too many bounces, too many things that can go the wrong way. And also, he's been playing under a team that was not coached by Bruce Boudreaux, which is my impression. It's almost You have to grade so many players on with and without Boudreaux. Uh, I mean, Jason Zucker, what did you think of him? Think, what did you think the of? The entire young core. Yeah. Um, uh, Granlin, Nino what did you think of Granlin him? Nino yeah. and Coyle and Zucker. All of those guys have to be judged pre-Boudreau with Yo and now post. Yeah, definitely. Right. And, I mean, even uh, Jonas, is Jonas Brodeen is another example. I wrote about that um, for the website and how – do you judge Brodeen based on what he's done with Boudreaux or his whole past? Because his whole past is pretty mediocre, but this year he's very, very good. So the same may go for Dubnik and the same may go for the playoffs. Um, that's one where who really knows, but I think a, a, a slump is, is likely based on but it can't all-time happen. safe. Percentage. But it can't Cannot occur happen in, in April or May or yes. you're dead. Yes. My first thing that I thought of was trade deadline that I am really watching closely what they'll do. We talked about it on our last episode, but will they move one of those defensemen? Something that I spotted Judd in doing research for my article is that Marco Scandella's ice time is down three to four minutes from what it was two years ago when he was thought of as a major part of the wild future. And you've got to wonder of all the guys that Boudreaux is working with now, he is the only one whose play hasn't gone the way of Brodeen and Zucker and all those guys you just named. His play has actually gone backwards. He has not produced as much as he did. His numbers in terms of when he's on the ice, the shot differentials, the goal differentials, they have not been, he has been one of their best for the last few years, Mm -hmm. and his numbers have not been where they were, including that ice time, which I always like to look at ice time as a window into the coach's mind. How, where, where do you think guys belong? Who do you think deserves the most ice time? And his has dropped back pretty far. So I, I wonder about that. I also wonder about Dumba and Brodeen, who would probably be more valuable on the trade market as guys who were former top 10 picks. I'm just not moving those guys. I, I, and I that's can't a, do it. And that's the thing is that someone like Dumba would be highly coveted out there in the trade market and maybe Brodeen to a lesser extent, but moving guys off of a defense that has been successful this year. I don't know. I mean, I think that's not going to sit very well with your coach. So I, I, that's what I'm really interested in watching. And plus the lingering over the, over the heads of everyone in the league is the Las Vegas expansion. But if you, if you're in the wild shoes right now and you basically are saying there is a window here to potentially win a cup, how much does that have to alter your thinking if you said to yourself, yeah, we're going to be a pretty good team and we might make the playoffs or we probably will, but the realistic expectation internally is a first or second round uh, exit, then you might say to yourself, let's, let's make this far more about what's going to happen in the expansion draft. But how much would you now change your philosophy? Because I think every conversation that you have about this team has to be, how can we make this team as good as possible for a playoff run? And, and when we get to the expansion draft, we'll deal with it at that time. Mm-hmm. But it can't be, first and foremost, our concern. I agree with you. And if I was Bruce Boudreau and I was sold on all the guys on the defense, then I would say, look, you just can't do this to me. If we lose somebody in that expansion draft, we lose somebody. And he's but, got a lot of say. Right. 
a lot as he should yes. as he as he should but i mean yeah he's to, not going to get steamrolled but the one question would be if scandella has kind of fallen off the pedestal a little bit mm-hmm. as one of their top defenders and is looked at as more replaceable could you replace one of those positions and add a forward which i think that they need there's also um that fourth line or third line center position that I think is also needed too. Eric Howla has continued to play extremely well at the third line top, center position. Top three centers are all very solid. And then the fourth line, I think there's a really big drop. Off. Right. I think you need one. I, I look at Matt Cullen and what he did last year and the fourth line for the Penguins in the playoffs. I think now you need it. Maybe in the past you wouldn't have so much, mm-hmm. but now if you're going to compete, you can get a big advantage on the Chicago Blackhawks if you have four lines and they have one and a half. So if you do this, uh, let's just say for the sake of our conversation here, Scandella gets mm-hmm. traded. Uh, that leaves you with a core defensive group of uh, Suter, Dumba, Spurgeon, Brodeen, and then your uh, potential fill-ins, backslide guys are Folan, Prosser, Riley. I guess my question is this. How comfortable, if you have to then play one of those defensemen uh, consistently, or two of them at times, in the playoffs, how comfortable are you? Because that's Scandella might not be exactly what Boudreaux wants, but he certainly he certainly is a qualified defenseman in this league, and he doesn't scare you one bit in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But if all of a sudden I'm telling you Nate Prosser's got to play in the playoffs and he's got to play consistently, how much does does that scare you if you're if you're the head coach of a team that knows as the playoffs continue it's going to get tougher and tougher for that player to achieve? Well, there's two two ways you could answer that. One way is those are. Uh, not players that you'd want to have getting a lot of ice time in the playoffs. But on the other hand, the Blackhawks won an entire Stanley Cup with only two pairs. They basically... Yeah, Chalmerson and Duncan Keith, and yeah, you're right. Johnny Oduya was on the other one, and they just played Duncan Keith the whole game. And Suter would never come off the ice in some of these scenarios. Well, you know what you would do? I mean, you would run those two pairs all night long because I looked up the numbers on Brodeen and Dumba playing together. And if you think about their skill sets, Brodeen is the defensive sort of shutdown guy, really good skater. Dumba is more of a high risk. will make some mistakes sometime. But I, what I noticed, I ran the last four years and Dumba has the best numbers on the ice in terms of goals scored for his team of any wild defenseman over the last four years, which I think means he's creating a lot of offense, uh, whether he's getting the points or not. He's, but you won't be surprised. He's also out there for the most goals against. Yeah, and, he's he's scare, a, and he'll scare you at playoff time yep. with his uh, decision-making at times. A more risky player, for sure. Brodeen's very solid now, I think. And, and I would agree that uh, Scandella on a third pair, you're in probably really good shape there. Um, but you could also ask yourself if there's another winger, scoring winger to be added. Like what? Like what's our loss from what Scandella is giving you? Because this year the numbers that Scandella is giving you, he's got like five points in 37 games, which is not much for a team that scores a ton. Two goals, three assists, minus one. Yeah, and and a minus one on this team. Not that plus minus is a good stat. It's not. But this team has defensemen who are plus 20. Yeah, and, so, and that's and that's a big difference there. So what he's giving you is it any better than what some of those other guys would give you? That's the question that they're really going to have to answer. So that's why that was my top thing. What's your next storyline? My second one is uh, Zach Parisi. Can he bounce back after a first half in which he has played thir- thirty nine games out of I believe it's possible forty eight? So he's missed some time with injury. Eight goals, fourteen assists. Uh, I thought the game before the break against the Blues, he actually was outstanding. Played he, very well. He didn't score a goal. Uh, some of this is attributed to his snake bit. 
Some of it, I still contend the back's not right. Something's not right here. But with what he makes per year, I mean, he has become, and, and the line has been good at times, but that line, he is now a third-line wing, and he is uh, in, I believe, year five of a 13-year, $98 million contract. So my second key is, can Zach Parisi uh, consistently perform to a basis of, one, you feel comfortable putting him on either the first or second line at some point again, but you just need more. I just I find it hard to believe that the Wild's going to achieve what they want to, their ultimate goal, if Zach Parisi uh, continues to be a supporting player. And my ultimate concern is he had the back problem last year, and there's just too many games where I've seen where he doesn't go to the net as much. He has some games where he certainly does, but it's almost as if we're watching a guy at the age of, think, of 31 or so, or 32, who on a night-by-night basis sort of some nights feels really good and some nights does not. Can Zach Parise come back from the break after this rest and uh, and start to score goals and play far more on a consistent basis, like the guy we expect to see, which is which is a sort of a semi star, but much more importantly, a guy who works his ass off. I think rest is the key word there for Zach Parisi and even maybe Ryan Suter too, if there's an opportunity there to give some guys a rest if they are at the top of the division as they go into the playoffs. Because I think it's a major factor what team is the healthiest and most well-rested going into the postseason. You remember one of the years that the Blackhawks won the Cup, Patrick Kane got injured at the end of the year? Yes. But he was very fresh coming back. It was great for the Blackhawks, you're right. Exactly, very fresh coming back for the playoffs. And I think it, it ended up helping them quite a bit. And with Parisi... He's going to be the last guy that just wants to take a scratch for the night or take a uh, all-over body injury or whatever they want to name it. But I think it would really help them down the road if they gave him a few nights off here or there. Just said he's getting a night off. And if anybody's got any problem with that, you go be one of the best players of the last decade, then you can earn that. His problem is he will. Yeah, no, I agree. He doesn't want to, and it's a pride thing. Uh, but there's definitely something, and, and I'm not saying he's, he has to be fantastic. I just think that if this team is going to have uh, success in, in the postseason, there's got to be more consistency there. And there's been some nights he's been really good and looked like the old Parisi, and some nights where he disappears. And I think we have to find, I think the Wild needs to find sort of a center place there where he can give you more on a consistent basis. Cause I don't know how you win that many playoff rounds with Parisi sort of just being a supporting nice player. Well, see, I might disagree with you there because I think that several players on this team have emerged into a, into star level production, yep. even though Parisi has fallen off. If we didn't have their names and we just had their stats and their uniforms, yep. uh, we would say that they have legitimate star players in the league. I, the game against St. Louis that Nino Niederreiter played, oh, it was a bulldog. Super, it was a superstar level game, and he brings those a lot. It's not just the scoring production; it's on the puck all the time. Mm-hmm. He is a battler, and he's very tough to get the puck away from. He made a great drive to the net. He doesn't end up getting a goal; he just gets a regular old assist. But that is a star play. He was fantastic. So in that I, game. I think that some guys who don't have the contract, who don't have the name, are performing like star players. I think Granlund has been excellent too, and Zucker has been a star in the league as well this year. So even if Parisi is not producing or is not reliable from a night to night basis to offer you any kind of offense, if he can just be a role player, that's the big question is. Can he just be a role player? Can he take that on? And maybe for a last kick at the can here with a team that can win the Stanley Cup, 
You're willing to put the ego aside. I don't think this is Adrian Peterson we're talking about. No, it's not. I'm just th- thinking that for in a salary cap league, in a playoff series, or if, if you advance uh, through several of them, at some point in time, you want him to be, be able to play to his maximum capability, which is a guy who crashes the net, works hard in, in the corners, everything that a bad back stops you from doing. Uh, and it's interesting, um, if you go through this, Matthew, Parisi has gone the last 10 games, two assists, okay? Th- this is the incredible thing about this team right now. I've got Eric Stahl's game-by-game called up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. In his last seven games before the break, one goal and an assist. That's it. And I want to say Charlie Coyle's in something like a 12-game slump. If I had gone to you in training camp and said, the Wild's going to go through a stage here where, uh, where Coyle, Parisi, and Stahl do points-wise nothing, basically, you'd say, you're crazy. They're, they're not going to be good. And in this, uh, this series of games, they've been, they've been good. That's the, that's the hard thing to get your head around about this team is they do, to your point, they do have different contributors on a consistent basis. And I think that the most important thing about Stahl, uh, to get back to that point, it's, it's not that he gets you a ton of points all the time. It's that he allows, he knows how to play the role he's being asked to play, which allows Koivu to slot in correctly. So instead of asking Koivu to be a, a one, he becomes a two. And I think that's the one thing that the stall addition has done is it's allowed the centers to fall in, into the proper places. But with Coyle, Parisi, and Stahl all seemingly struggling points-wise, this team's still been good. So that's a huge positive for these guys. I will give you my next storyline, which is the West, the Western Conference. I've been saying that I don't believe the Western Conference is what it once was, but there's two teams that come to mind, Judd, who I think the Wild should be a little concerned about. These two teams, I think they're a come-in. One of them is Nashville, who has been hot going into the All-Star break. They won 7 out of 10. P.K. Subban is coming back. And the other one I mentioned before uh, when we were talking about which West team would be a bad matchup for the Wild, that's the Edmonton Oilers. And they're just growing and getting even more experience. And they've got the best player in the Western Conference. And anytime a team has a player that they can put in a playoff series for 20-plus minutes a night and is the best, most dominant player, then... They can win you a series sometimes. We've seen Sidney Crosby do it before. And well, Connor, Con- Connor McDavid, McDavid he is the type of player who can dominate. Jonathan, uh, John Tavares last year did this in the series against Florida where he put it on his back. The and he Hall of Line alone. would full-time have to shut him down, right? Yeah. I mean, if you, if you play the Oilers in the playoffs, I would say that the Hall of Line is out there to, to do almost nothing but shut McDavid down. Yeah. And, I agree. and if they give you offense, besides that, it's gravy. But, yeah, that kid is – if you watch that guy, especially in person, he is special. His ability with the puck and the puck just comes to him is – it's fun to watch, but it would be maddening in, in a playoff series. It would be completely maddening. Yep. Nashville, what do you think about how they match up against the Wild? I, I, I think my bigger point is that – I've felt throughout the whole season that one of the big arguments for the Wild for the Stanley Cup is that there's no other team in the West that is scary. And I think San Jose is still good, but they're not as good as they were last year. And I think Nashville is the one to keep an eye on that could get hot. Now, their goaltending might be a little questionable. I was going to say that yeah, yep. that's the one and thing that would scare me if I'm they, a Preds fan. Yeah, they also don't have an Anze Kopitar or Jonathan Taves monster to a center. 
But they have a lot, a lot of skill players and the best defense core, I think, in the league. Subban's a special player, too. Uh, they, would, they would scare me a little bit. It's interesting because th- this team's not in the playoffs right now, but the other team that I, I would potentially throw in there is the Kings, who I think we've talked about before. Yep, I actually wrote down L.A. Too. They enter, they entered the, or they come out of the All-Star break. Uh, the wild card goes St. Louis at 53 points in Calgary with, with the same, and I don't like both those teams. Yeah. The Blues looked like a disaster to me. Uh, but the Kings are right behind them, uh, tied with the Canucks at 52 points. And if the Kings, uh, to go back to your, uh, um, to your uh, Patrick Kane point, if the Kings now, I believe that Jonathan Quick's supposed to be back in March, and just watching them, I could see them missing the playoffs again or barely getting in as a wild card and being in a pain in the butt, right? Because they're a pretty fast team. They've got some skilled players, and if Quick comes back and he's fresh and good, that's a problem. It, I think if I was the Wild, what would scare me the most is if I got another team that had some speed, I think I can match them because the, the Wild's got some sneaky, really good speed. Those young players are, are pretty good. Uh, what would scare me the most if I'm the Wild, though, is a, is a semi-skilled big team that can beat me up, right? Because you start to beat guys up. I mean, Granlund, Granlund has been, don't get me wrong, when Granlund got moved from center to wing, I said, I don't like this. He's a little guy, a playmaker, and he's been fantastic. However, however, my issue with this is I'm very curious to see in a playoff series because he's going to get beat up. In a seven-game series, you know, if you're playing the Canadians on a random Thursday and the Devils on a Saturday, Granlin makes plays, and the, the opponent doesn't really give a damn, right? But when you go into playoff series now, there are specific things the teams look for. And I think a guy like Granlin, who's a small guy, gets destroyed at times. Uh, so what scares me way more is teams that have some skill, a little bit of speed, but that can check you and check you and hit you. If I'm in the Wild, that's what scared me. Yeah, I also don't like a team for a matchup with the Wild that really controls the possession of the puck, which I think L.A. does really well. Yes. And they do it from the back end with Drew Doughty. It starts with him. Uh, you watch uh, the way a lot of the Wild defensemen play. They're looking for those stretch passes, those guys to start transition, and they create a lot of offense that way, where it is very much you've compared uh, – some players to quarterbacks or point guards, or you've compared quarterbacks to point guards. Well, I think that Drew Doughty is like a point guard. Yeah, he, is. he is bringing the puck up the ice all the time and distributing and holding on to it and slowing down the game when he needs to. And if they get the lead, that can be very, very difficult to handle with a guy who's just going to control the puck the entire game like Drew Doughty does. And I think he is still... Well, he won the Norris last year. I think he's the best in the game. I think he is number one. He is elite, to quote P.J. Fleck. Yes, indeed. So anytime, and I would say the same thing with McDavid. You're playing one of the best in the league, and that's scary. Anytime you are. Usually the playoff team, if you're playing Calgary, you've got some nice players. They don't have like the number one player. And Goudreau's a little guy, and you can beat him up. Yeah, but but, you know, even whatever. Like he is good, and he'll be up and down sometimes, like anybody else. Right. The guys that aren't up and down are Dowdy or McDavid, who you know are going to just be the best player on the ice at any given moment. Question for you uh, about the potential uh, playoff: When you get to a series, how much do you think the Wild's opponents are going to adjust in scouting for them? Because as as I said, now. You scout teams, but if you're going to play them in game, I don't know, take your pick, 55. Okay, you scouted them, and you're going to work against them, but you're still going to run your system. 
and you and you might try and counter guys who are hot, but you're not going to actually actually have a devised scheme for the most part. What's your expectation when the Wild gets to the playoffs and it's a seven-game series and I can sit down and I've scouted them a ton and I say, okay, I'm going to go after their strength. How much is that, is that going to change the storylines potentially for what the Wild can do now? Because they basically are able to do on a nightly basis during the season what they want. I think that changes in April. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't I, you? Well, I think that there's two ways to attack the Wild. There's Number one would be to slow the game down to try and keep them from getting those fast transitions, play a very conservative game, and try to make them beat you 2-1. to Because right now, they beat people 5-4 a lot. They get good goaltending, and Dubnik has been fantastic. And they don't like that. Boudreaux re- doesn't like that. The, a lot of times, they've been trying to score 3-4-5 goals, playing that fast up-tempo. And what we've seen recently is teams – this will show your adjustment – Teams have noticed the two defensemen creeping up, creeping up, and have gotten a couple of breakaway goals because of that, just splitting the defense and scoring. Blues did that and got a goal from Tarasenko. Yep, and Arizona did it too with, uh, I think it was Brendan Perlini also scored a goal that way. Yep. And I think that is that is one thing that they w- would be the other strategy is trying to take advantage of the aggressiveness. It's either slow them down and don't let them do it or – take advantage and try to sort of uh, counter strike when they get too far up with their defensemen, when they have their defensemen too far up in the play and things Mm -hmm. like that. Those are the ways that you're probably talking about uh, teams going after them. So it may very well depend on the matchup. If if there's a team who can do that, and that's why I'm saying the the opposite ends of that uh, spectrum are Edmonton and LA. One of them can brilliantly slow the game down and turn it into somebody's winning two one here tonight, and that's all it's going to be. Or Edmonton can track meet and beat you because they have the best player. Six on to the four. Ice. Yeah, exactly. Uh, my third point also has to do with the postseason, and that is: Can Bruce Boudreaux win in the postseason? And most importantly, can he win in Game Sevens? Uh, the, the Ducks fired Boudreaux after they lost another Game 7 at, in the first round last season to Nashville. I believe the year before that, if I'm not mistaken, the Ducks went to the conference finals, right? They did, lost in Game 7. Lost in Game 7 to the Blackhawks. Boudreaux now, Boudreaux is in his ninth, or he's in his 10th year as a head coach. Uh, in his previous nine, he has won eight division titles. But here's the playoff stat that uh, will stop you. Boudreaux is 1-7 all-time in Game 7 situations. 1-7, my... Uh, my partner during the four-hour Mackie and Judge show tells me it's coin flip games. I think he's probably right in some cases, Matthew. But I also think when it's eight games and you've won one, it goes more than just bad luck. So I am very curious to see as far as adjustments go and as far as playoff series go, because I do believe that, that the Wild will be successful. I do believe that there's a very good chance that they win the conference. But most importantly, when they get to the playoffs and ultimately probably get pushed to a Game 7, can Boudreaux win those games? Part of it's luck, but part of it at eight games, that's a pretty big sample size. Part of it is you're one in seven. Yeah, and there's a couple instances that you could point to failing on Bruce Boudreaux's part in those game sevens. One of them was trying to run uh, Gibson out there, the Anaheim goalie, the rookie in a game seven, where he was, let's say he played, I think, Frederick Anderson, Jonas Hiller, and uh, is it, what is it, John Gibson? Yeah. Gibson was, was their hot young yeah, goaltender right. for yeah, a while. Right. Yes. He was their big prospect. Yep. He played all three of them in that playoff series and then tried to go with the young guy in Game 7. I think you could point to him there. I also think you could look at how he got worked at home by uh, Joel Quinville in that Game <laughs> 7 against Chicago that somehow Chicago ended up getting all the matchups they wanted in that game 
and uh, the Ducks ended up coming up short. So there's a few of them where you can point to him. Now, when Yaroslav Halak puts on one of the all-time great performances and shuts down Ovechkin and Semin and Backstrom that one year, what are you going to do, right? I mean, that's a... And Washington, poor Washington, is just so jinxed in the postseason. <laughs> right. It's Vikings-like. It goes beyond their head coaches. Right. So I don't even know like how to put odds on it. I would say it's a little, little bit of a concern because it's been so many. Right. But... I don't know. His overall playoff record is pretty good. He's won series. He's gone deep. And I, when it comes to a game seven, it just ends up being almost impossible to predict. Uh, the other thing, too, is what was it? Nashville and St. Louis last year mm-hmm. played a game seven. Mm-hmm. And Shea Weber played about as bad as you could ever play. He had one of the worst playoff games for a defenseman I can ever remember. And he's back this year playing great. You know, I mean, there were a lot of people talked about the last impression of him before that trade and everything else was, gosh, he just didn't look the same. And then he's back playing great again. So just trying to draw conclusions from one playoff game or one playoff series is pretty tough. The thing I do like in this case, though, is there is one goaltender. Like, you're not going to go to Kemper unless Dubnik gets hurt. Yeah. And if you go to Kemper, it's over. So I do like the fact that because I am I am a believer in if you really have a Stanley Cup aspirations for the most part, you want a goaltender, right? Mm-hmm. Like you don't want to be like, yeah, I might play this guy. I might play Kemper tonight. And if he's got the hot hand, I want a team that has confidence in, in its goaltender, which is why to go back to point one for me, the most the key thing is. Can Dumnik sustain the level of play that we're seeing right now and the consistency in the postseason? Because I think if he does, it helps question three, which is can Boudreaux win in game seven of the playoffs? The last one that I wrote down was adversity because you have a lot of players on this team that I don't feel like in the past, and maybe this was their coach's fault or maybe not, handled adversity very well. And it's some of the younger guys, it's some of the veteran players too, but at some point before between now and the time in which they raise the cup or are playing golf in the playoffs, there will be some tough times. There will be a bad playoff loss. There will be a stretch of three or four games where they don't play well. And how they bounce back, because this year, in my mind, they have not faced any adversity whatsoever. There has not, there has not been a major injury that they've seen. There has not been a major losing streak that they've seen. It's just been pretty much all roses at the top of the league. I, can you think of a time uh, where we really on. were down on them at all? Hold, yes, I can. Hold on a second here. Uh, bear with me while I I mean, if you're talking about schedule. like in October, that's no, not adversity. No, 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 no. I'm talking about a little bit later. And it wasn't, this wasn't, I'm not saying that this was an Armageddon uh, situation, but there was a time, and let me find the, seri- or the series of games here. They were in Western Canada, and they weren't playing that great, and you could tell Boudreaux was at his wit's end at some point here. All right, here, here it is. Uh, so they, they beat the Penguins. They had lost two consecutive games to the, the Avs. I think they blew the game at home. It was a bad loss, and Colorado's awful. They lost 3-2, to two, and then they went to Dallas, and they lost 3-2 in overtime. Then they came back here and beat the Jets, and the day after Thanksgiving, they blew up the Penguins 6-2. to two. And so we're all thinking, okay, they're fine. Then they go on an extensive road trip. They lose in a shootout to the Blues. They lose a clunker to Vancouver. They lose a shootout to Calgary, 3-2. And Boudreaux is getting frustrated, and you could tell it. And then they came back. And this is typically where, in, in the yo years, the streaks would start, right? So they'd just fall apart. Uh, they came back and started their long winning streak right after that, and they beat the Oilers 2-1 in OT. 
I'm not trying to say that that was terrible adversity, but it did give us. That's where I said, okay, the transition is going on here mm-hmm. from the teams because in the yo years, that's when they would start to free fall, and the head coach would get frustrated, and the players would get frustrated, and the older players would get frustrated at the young players, and the young players would sort of throw up their hands and say, "What can we do?" Uh, so that's the closest I can get to a period of semi adversity. That proved to me that this was, instead of being factions of old guys, young guys, head coach, was actually a team. But I can't give you a terrible time period. Yeah, and that's what I... And you're right, it could happen. Well, I I guess I I shouldn't say I want to see that, but I think maybe... It doesn't have to be a major losing streak. It doesn't have to be a major injury. It could be a playoff loss, though. I mean, once you get there, yeah, that could happen. It could be a devastating playoff loss. And I wonder about how some of these guys who have not presented themselves as being the most mentally tough or the most consistent, I wonder how a lot of them bounce back. And that's going to be one of the biggest questions. I mean, in a way, a lot of these, everything that we wrote down for the second half of the season is focused on what happens to the playoffs. Because if you put it in cruise control the rest of the way and go 500, you're fine and you're in the playoffs. And here's the other thing, too, that... The way the playoff system is set up is just a disaster. I mean, you can be one of the well, worst. Well, you can explain it to me because I still don't get it. Well, yeah, I know. You can be one of the worst teams in the league that makes the playoffs and play another one of the worst teams in the first round. This happened with uh, Calgary and Vancouver a few years ago. Vancouver, the first year Ryan Miller was there, they got a playoff win and played a Calgary team that had no business playing someone, you know, the, playing in the playoffs, really, or playing someone that was also a bad team is like, no matter what, a bad team gets a playoff win. And then you have times where you see Pittsburgh and Washington play in the second round last year. Oh, Pitt- yeah, that was a joke. That ticked me off last year. Yeah, last year, the Rangers and the Penguins played, yeah. and they were two of the better teams record-wise. So yeah. that's the thing about who cares about what their final record is. I think what we're looking for here is if if – the Wild really want people to buy into them and what they can do. It isn't going to happen until they win a playoff series, and then people will start to believe that it can be done. I would say two series. I, I This team has proven before that they can win a playoff series. And and I think I think if this team uh, continues even assembling to the pace that they're on right now, a first-round playoff series, fair or not, is almost assumed. I think what you need to see, and, and the key thing, and, the, and this is, this will always come back to this. The key thing is Chicago. Can you beat the Blackhawks? Because that's the one thing, because Chicago has been the thorn in their side. And, you know, it's Taze and it's Kane and it's Crawford and Duncan Keith. A lot of the parts around the Blackhawks might change as far as the players go, but the core remains the same. And I guess my question is this. Can Boudreaux beat the Blackhawks in a playoff series? I think to answer your question about adversity, I think one of the key things that's changed there, once again, is Eric Stahl. Eric Stahl, he's won a cup. From what I'm told, too, has been behind the scenes phenomenal. Oh, he, he's been it. he's been great. And when you look at when you look at the sniping that went on here for two or three years, where Parisi or Suter would, would get upset about something, I mean, Koivu's your captain, but he's not Mister Speak Up type of guy. And I think your problem was your Hollis and your Coils and Nino and Granlund always felt like they were good players, but they, they weren't really respected or heard. And I think Stahl's had a galvanizing factor. So I think the difference here becomes if you lose, you know, let's say first round playoff series, you go and host a team and lose game one. And you're like, oh, my gosh, this is bad. I think the difference here is there's a there's a much better chance that this team won't go into a funk. I mean, the wild under Yo 
the product, the, if there was one word that I could use to describe them is funk. They would go into these funks and they couldn't get out of them. And it would just, it would go on and on. And eventually they'd be out of a playoff spot and they'd have to fight to get a playoff spot. And they'd be playing playoff games starting in February, which is ridiculous. Uh, so I really think the addition of stall gives them an opportunity to be much more grounded. Boudreaux helps as well. And, and then my X factor, but by the way, on this team is Scott Stevens. I said that when he got hired as an assistant coach and Boudreaux hired him and they hadn't worked together before, but when Boudreaux hired Scott, I said to myself, this is a great hire because there's nobody in that locker room who can say, ah, it's just Scott Stevens, right? Ah, you know, he's just a penalty kill guy, but he was just a, he was an okay player. I mean, Scott Stevens has everyone's attention in that room. And, and if you abuse that, I think it's a bad thing, but my judgment has been every defenseman has has basically said, this is Scott Stevens. I better shut up and listen. And that includes Suter. So my X factor would be Boudreaux having the, the gumption to hire a guy who he didn't know based on the fact that that guy was going to be somebody that players couldn't dismiss. Stevens is a guy you can't dismiss, and he runs the penalty kill and the defensive shifts, and they have been both really good. I would say the X factor for me is age. I mean, this team relies on guys who are in their 30s. Whether it's Eric Stahl or Ryan Suter, I mean, they've got some key players who are on the older side of things. And a lot of times experience is good, but in hockey, usually by the time you get somewhere between 28 and 32 is where guys start to wear down and don't produce like they used to. This year, they, they are. The key players are playing at a very, very high level. As you go into the playoffs, is Eric Stahl going to continue to play as well as he's played in the first half of the season? Another like big X factor and question for me is just whether they stay healthy because the Kings and the Blackhawks, during their eras of eliteness, uh, they were the two healthiest teams in the NHL. And then that's a stat that I always go back to. If they had lost a Kopitar, if they had lost a Dowdy, a Kane, a Taves, they wouldn't have won cups. Though staying healthy is a huge, huge factor. So also, iTunes is a huge factor. We're working on it, everybody. People are upset by this. By we're the working we're, on we're, it. We're, we're applying pressure internally. Let's put it that way. That's right. There are, there's internal pressure. There's, there's, uh, there's dissension. There's factions. Old against young. It's very yosey like <laughs> There are camps. There's the iTunes camp. Well, we're working on it. Eventually, we will have it up there. Uh, don't worry. By the time the Wild are in the playoffs, we will be on iTunes. So you're, you're getting in early as an early adopter. So thank you for listening to another episode. He's Judd Zolgad. I'm Matthew Collar of Matt Hi. and Judd's Hockey Adventure. Call of Duty Modern Warfare is here, and so is Mountain Dew. Roger that. Now you can unlock in-game rewards like only Dew can. Wait. What rewards? A do operator skin. Man, I love operator skins. Dual double XP, and even Call of Duty points. You're kidding me. Double XP and Call of Duty points? This is incredible. I can't believe it. Soldier, get a hold of yourself. Oh, roger that. Look for specially marked packaging and visit mtndugaming.com for details and restrictions. Open to U.S. residents 17 plus. Call of Duty points available on 12 and 24 packs and free 20 and 23. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more.
All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.